0: You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com.
1: This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one. This Friday, your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2.
2: It's time to greet your team Riley! It's hey! Fear. Safety checklist is complete.
0: Disgust. Ew. Ew. Ugh. Sadness is in the house. Oh no. Oh. Hello. I'm anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions.
1: Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2.
0: There's a part two? We're going!
1: Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only theaters Friday.
2: Get tickets now.
1: ho, 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 Merry Christmas. Now, we're a little early for Christmas, but, uh, you know, we're, we're knee-deep in spring. You know, is it sp- springtime? That's, what, that's what's popping? Springtime? Okay. I'll take your word for it. Welcome to the X-Man Podcast. I'm your host, Doc Coyle. Apparently, I don't know what month it is or, or season. That's all right. I've been home for about four weeks and, uh you know you, you know and I haven't been, I haven't really been doing that much you know people think I'm busy not that busy you know and uh part of that is uh like much of us in the culture zeitgeist, guys I'm, I'm consumed with game of Thrones and I've been trying to think about what I'll talk about in today's monologue and honestly this has been consuming my mind too much so so what I'm gonna do right now I'm gonna say if you don't like game of Thrones if you don't care if you think I'm a nerd just fast forward about five, six, seven minutes, whatever. And then you'll have to deal with it. And also, I'll be talking about spoilers. So this is a spoiler warning. If you watch the show, but you didn't watch the last episode, you better fast forward because I'm about to spoil all that shit. Okay, with that out of the way, I'm going to talk a little Game of Thrones because I, I have to. Now, uh, what I'll talk about is the penultimate episode of the show. And in this episode, if you've seen it, our One of our lead characters, Daenerys Targaryen, uh, goes crazy and turns into a genocidal maniac. Not a homicidal, genocidal maniac. And uh, I noticed when, you know, because me, like, I will have a feeling about a show or, or a movie. And immediately I want to kind of see if I'm, am I the only one that felt the way I felt? So I'll go on, on the internet and kind of see what's going on. And I noticed people who are really big fans of the show the real super GOT heads were disappointed with the with the show and it seemed like the more fair weather kind of people who you know they're there for tits and dragons those people liked the episode because i think they got kind of what they think the show is which is um horrifying spectacle right so the red wedding unexpected oh it comes you're favorite characters die or Ned getting his head chopped off or the mountain killing the red Viper, busting his head all open. Um, And those moments are supposed to, they think that's what the show is. It's kind of like, Oh, it's, it's, it's going to twist. It's going to zig in a way that's shocking and horrifying. Um, And I don't think that's what the show is. Um, And the issue I had with the show is, is, I'd say the main thing is, is I went into it kind of, you know, I was ready. I was like, okay. And I just didn't, it just, it really actually upset me. Like I woke up the next morning upset about the episode, which I'm a little embarrassed to admit. Um, But what I think, listen, let me actually first say, I think it is brilliant filmmaking. That's I should say that if, um. If, if not attached to any of, of the story points, I think everyone who works on that show should get all the credit in the world. The actors, the costume designers, the the digital effects people, uh, the cinematography. I mean, it's brilliant. Uh, the choreography, every, everything everything goes on. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a masterwork and it's brilliant. And we're lucky enough to have something this great on television, of all things. It should probably be in movie theaters. Uh, but with that, with that being said, just from a, a story standpoint, as you, if you listen to the show, you know I've, I've rewatched the show three times, so I'm really kind of connected, right, personally, right now to the history of the show and and you know what was going on and the type of storytelling and the connection to the characters, and I just think they made choices that, in many ways, are in line with the kind of subversive elements that I mentioned before, right? You think your lead character is gonna be one thing and then they're dead, right? And so I think in that that mindset is this is how this is how we've the the way the story's unfolded and we're not going to change that now. And in the end we're going to shock you. Um and, and obviously there's been so much uh talk about or 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 things that that shadowed and led up to this you know, Daenerys basically going crazy. And I think it's all kind of bullshit. I think they wrote her team. You know, we take Tyrion who is known for being clever and we have to have him fuck up over and over and over again for two straight seasons so that she loses her army. She loses her dragons. She loses all her closest confidants so that she goes crazy. And to me, the only way you get there is if you decide, all right, she's gonna we're gonna break bad. We're gonna make her Anakin turning into Darth Vader. And I just think when you start with that in, in the end, I just wish it got there in a place that felt more earned. And and I think we and I think the, the thing that bums me out, I think really the core of it is that it's a really hopeless message that the show is sending at the end. And I know the last episode that Daenerys might die and whoever is good ends up on the, uh, the throne. And maybe not, I don't know. We'll still we'll see how it ends, but I don't think they can really undo the feeling we got from this, this last episode, because it says her father was the mad King and that you were essentially a slave to your history that you can't change, right? You have a, the arc with Jamie's character where he's this terrible guy and he slowly becomes a better person and he evolves and we like that and we enjoy that as an audience. And then right at his kind of moment of his peak of his glory, he just reverts back, goes back to his sister. Doesn't care if she just banged corny ass Euron or any of that stuff. And uh and there's and even him, he's a slave to his his past. And that hey mate, you know what people don't change. You're just a victim of, you know, your heritage or your blood. I don't know. But it, I, I find that message to be very, very um, I don't know, it's just dour. It just brings me down. It's a it's a big bum out. Not that, not that the show kind of if its intention was to be the most uplifting thing. I think if anything, it was meant to kind of be realism, right? It would say, oh, listen, this is you've seen every. Lord of the Rings and every uh, fantasy story and the good guys eventually wins. And, you know, if you do the right thing, then things will happen. And they're saying, no, no, no. If you're smart, if you play the game properly, you can win the game. This is what Cersei says in season one. When you play the Game of Thrones, you win or you die. And that's what it was all about. It was all about playing the game the best way. And the smartest people lived. And the people that made mistakes and were just thought in short term died. And this show has undermined that. And they've made, basically, the thing that makes me hate this turn the most is it means all of our main characters who were all so excited. They they came together and they're all on the same side that they were all dumb. They all put their bets on the wrong horse. And it's kind of, it's not really fun to like a show or any story where you don't really have any respect for your main characters. Because essentially, Jon Snow, he's just Ned part two. And that's all Sansa was saying. To her. It was like, "Hey, we can't be like our, you know, Rob and our mother and our father and do dumb things. We have to be smart." And she's really the only smart person on the show, apparently. Now, so it undermines this 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 idea. And uh, and yeah, so we'll see how how the show ends. And um, listen, I respect the choice, the choices that they made because I think you know what? Hey, they made a choice. They made a bold choice. And um, as the people at the helm of something that that big you know, I can't imagine the pressure and you know, and I'm I feel like the exact opposite about the Avengers endgame and all that. I feel like they did that perfectly. And obviously that was a lot of people say, oh, that's fan service or whatever. But I mean ultimately I think these things are here to entertain us and make us feel something. And as a piece of art, I think it did make me feel something. So in that respect it was successful, you know, and and it's something we're gonna talk about for a long time. And I guess You know, that that does have have a lot of merit. But I do definitely have a lot of respect for the filmmakers and the writers and and everyone. But I personally did not like it. So anyway, and I also did, if you look on Twitter, I did a little long thread about how they kind of made all the characters stupid in order as a plot device, which sucks. But anyway, I digress. I'm going to stop talking about fucking Game of Thrones. And by the way, I've been talking about Game of Thrones for about 10 minutes now. Or about nine minutes. So it went longer <laughs> than I thought. I feel bad for the people that fast forwarded five, six minutes. And then next thing you know, still fucking yapping away. Anyway, we have a show sponsor this week, guys. It's a band from Oklahoma City. They're called Everybody Panic with an exclamation point at the end. I'm going to play a track from them entitled Bullets. Check it out. <laughs>
0: We got bullets and guns and guns and bullets and bullets and guns and guns and bullets and bombs, motherfucker. We got bullets and guns and guns and bullets and bullets and guns and guns and bullets and bombs, motherfucker. We got bullets and guns and guns and bullets and bullets and guns and guns and bullets and bombs, motherfucker. We got bullets and guns and guns and bullets and bullets and guns and guns and bullets. Make it somehow. Gotta keep breathing, keep moving for now. Knock, knock, who's there? Guarantee is it isn't Jesus and the devil is near. They have us surrounded at best. Putting let down rage is part of a test.
1: was Everybody Panic with their track Bullets from their upcoming newly completed album, The Warning, which was produced by the band themselves and also Mr. Logan Mater of Once Human, Machine Head, and Soulfly fame. And uh, yeah, those guys are from Oklahoma City. If you want to check out their music, please head on over to everybodypanic.bandcamp.com and also their Facebook, which is facebook.com. Backslash Everybody Panic. Thank you so much to them for supporting the show. It means the world. It's honestly, you know, that support is what keeps the lights on over here, and you know, and motivates me. That's right, guys. All I care about getting paid. No, I'm just kidding. Uh- <laughs> No, no, but it actually it it really does help the show uh, when you guys support it um because you know this is it's a free product. I, I put it out there and you know I put a lot of time. I try, guys. I do my best. I do my best. So thank you to them. And if you want to sponsor the show, please hit me up on social media, send me a message, or write an email to the X-Man Podcast at gmail.com. Remember that is ex the X-Men. All right, almost out of breath here. Hold on, let, me get, let me get some 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 something to drink over here. Let me see. <clears throat> Jesus Christ! I did too much there. I was trying to make funny slurping sounds, and instead I just uh, went down the wrong path. Alrighty then, we have a guest this week. If you didn't notice, uh, his name is Chris Dudley. He is the keyboard player for the band Under Oath and Bad Wolves. Had the fortune to do some shows with them recently. And we sat down, we hung. I've known him, got this guy for a very, very long time, and he's one of the best guys ever. They're, all the guys in Under Oath are, are very, very, very wonderful human beings and an incredible band. So, you know what? I think that's all the intro I, I have to give. This is actually probably one of my favorite podcasts I've I've done. I really enjoyed this, and I think you guys are going to enjoy it. Please check out this conversation with my man, Chris Dudley. Let me, let me sip some of this wonderful cold brew. Mm, Starbucks. Mm. They uh, they spare no expense on the <laughs> on the under oath bus. We have beautiful artwork.
2: Uh yeah, we've got nine pictures of Marilyn Monroe on this bus for some reason. Nine pictures. There's a, there's a bunch. One of them is like the size of the wall in the bathroom. I don't know. It's like a canvas painting. We we had nothing to do with it. Is there
1: like any revisionist history about Marilyn Monroe? Like people like oh she was a size ninety eight and she was. You I, know, she had plastic surgery. I don't. I, you know, I don't. I don't know the whole. You know, where is the the the
2: documentary? Because there's a documentary about everyone. There really needs to be one. Like I feel like the the history on her that's come out that's come about more in somewhat recent history has been more just about how like the stuff between her and John F. Kennedy and all that stuff and yeah. where it's basically like, oh yeah, they were like totally together, which is weird. They I was mean, boning. They was going for. No, I honestly don't know anything about her. Right. I, we just got on this bus and there's Marilyn Monroe everywhere, I guess. Okay. Bus companies into it. It happens. Well, well, Mr. Chris Dudley, or as I call him,
1: Mr. Dudley
2: fucking do right. Mm.
1: <laughs> uh, welcome to the X-Men podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And you're you're in the becoming the, the more common X-Men, XX-Men? I'm an ex X man. That's what I'm saying. Yes. So So like it was, and if if I would have caught all these people at the right
2: time, you would have been an X man. We talked about doing that, and then yeah. it just I don't Did know. Did
1: we? We we talked in between
2: things. I I, I think so, cause yeah. cause you were doing that. You're doing this podcast, and I was like, oh hey, I used to be in a band, and then it was one of those like, yeah, that would <laughs> might be might be cool, and then just I don't think it ever ended up it happening. Can, but came, here we are. It came back, baby. Well, well, welcome back. Talk to, about full circle, right? I know,
1: man. This is uh, this is pretty nuts, cause. So we're we're doing some shows and it's Bad Wolves, Diamante, uh, Underoath, and Breaking Benjamin. Hell yeah! And this is kind of it's an, just an interesting turn of how the world goes, you know. And it's you don't because we we met two thousand three, yep. uh, did a tour. It was a Treyu headlining. God forbid was main support, Darkest Hour, and then Underoath opened. Yes, and you had Matt. Filling yes. in on vocals.
2: Yeah, that was like literally like I think a month or two before Spencer joined the band. Yeah. So, and so yeah. it was like
1: a real turning point.
2: Yeah. It was it was a weird spot for us because we didn't really know what we were going to do. Like it, was, it wasn't long before that tour. We, you know, our, our old singer left. And um, I think we were kind of going through that. Like, are we going to still be a band thing? Because losing the singer is like a huge deal. Yeah. And then, you know, we did that tour and that was that was a great time.
1: Well, it was... The kind of interesting thing about it was, we were in a w- weird position. God
2: forbid, because we had done it. I prefer God for damn bid. God for damn bid. Yeah, that's that's the way we refer to you guys. Really? Wow, so that's a lot That's what Byron used to say every night. God for damn bid. What's up, a god for damn bid, y'all? That's he, that's he, that's our voice for him for some reason. Hey, what's up, y'all? It's B. Yo, <laughs> hey, it's Byron with God for damn
1: bid. He shouldn't have said that, you know. I don't even know because we might not even have like a a a banner with our name. Everybody's looking up God. for damn, man. Who is this? Who is this band? God for damn. I don't. Yeah, I don't remember that. He should have just yeah just say the name, enunciate it. We're trying to sell T shirts over here, Byron.
2: Got a living to make.
1: Yeah. No, but it was this 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 weird thing where you know we we thought we were the shit, you know, and we were like. We had that underdog, man, we ain't getting no respect. You know, we out here making, and I think we're, I swear to God, I think we made like $300 a show or something like that. Uh, it was about that. Yeah, so, nobody you
2: know, nobody was making money. Yeah,
1: Maybe Atrey was making some money. Atrey Ho- was making some money. Hopefully they were making some so, some money, but we mm-hmm. felt like we were this uh, progenitor of, of the, the genre, and we were ahead of the curve, and now we're, you know, Take it take it, you know, even open up for a trade. We're like, man, who's this a trade you man? They don't These
2: young kids don't know. Yeah, do right. <laughs>
1: we invented this shit. We you know, before Alex invented Metalcore, we thought we invented Metalcore. Um <laughs> But but I remember with, with with you guys, it was right when you
2: had uh As the Sun sets. The
1: uh uh, was,
2: uh when, when the Sun when Sleeps the, yeah, the sun sleep. close when, enough. It's old. The, Nobody knows that stuff. See, guys. The I'm fact that it. you even halfway know that song name. Tells where you come from.
1: Well, no, but is but what was crazy at the time was even though you guys were opening, that song was the video was blowing up on MTV2. I guess so. It was. Okay. It was a hit. It was a it was a MTV late night hit. Or I don't know if it was As we
2: were talking about last night, for whatever that's worth.
1: (laughs) No, but it was because the difference between that what you guys had with that song and us in Darkest Hour who were playing after you, you had this giant pop. Yeah. in the set where it seemed like everyone knew that song.
2: Yeah, I, and it was a giant pop as far as just like there was a bunch of singing in it. Yeah. Which uh, that was really, you know, when we when we did that record, that wasn't really our first foray into like we, because we loved heavy music, but we also just love like Jimmy World and all these yeah. like, you know, really melodic bands. And that was our first like, hey, like what if we sang and screamed at the same time? And, uh, By the way,
1: speaking of Jimmy World, I was I was listening to some of the songs, and there's one track on Only Chasing Safety where y'all just, just straight
2: jacked Jimmy 100%. World. 100%. It was like. Yep.
1: Foi- Dude, legitimately,
2: <laughs> they, they, they were and are. The, the, Jimmy World is one of the only bands that we can all agree are just like the reason why, that, okay. why we're here. What's your favorite Jimmy World record? Okay, I, it's just complicated for me. So I've said that if. Th- Because do you know about the uh, uh, Stay On My Side Tonight EP, how that came about? What is it? Stay On My Side Tonight EP. Okay. So, Futures, the record Futures is awesome. Um, But they started recording Futures with uh, Mark Trombino. Mark Trombino. And for whatever reason, that relationship fizzled out during the making of that record. So, they shelved those songs. And then they went back and recorded futures with i don't i don't know who who produced that but they released futures i love futures at the time i was like this might be my favorite jimmy world record and then uh they released the stay on my side tonight ep like a year and a half later i think um and i have said that if the stay on my side tonight ep songs were on futures it would be hands down the best thing they've ever done because that ep is bananas that's the last
1: record i bought was futures really and i kind of felt fell off so i don't even know this ep now i need to go dig into this and the
2: ep's like gosh like 10 years old something like
1: that well you know it's
2: it's so good sometimes you just fall off with a band you 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 really do like even like like for me i have not delved a ton into their newer stuff but i think that's it just kind of happens i don't know why that is like they're literally my top five favorite bands of all time and they have a record that i have not even listened to so I don't we're, know if that what that says about me, but it says we're we're bad fans.
1: Yeah, and there's certain there's certain bands. You know, my favorite band of all time is Metallica. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't matter. Like I'm going to buy the Metallica. Out. It doesn't matter yeah. what it is. But there, yeah. there's a certain there's a couple bands like Muse. I'll buy every record. Mm-hmm. There's only but there's only that's only a handful of bands that I'll do that. Yeah, there's like
2: yeah, there's like. F- I th- probably five that I'm I'm that way with but, but also like I think that those bands not in like a jerky way but they have to earn it like I think that bands that for me continually get better with every record those are bands and I'm like no matter what they're doing I'm buying that next thing because I know that they're as artists they're bringing it yeah. and yeah well see my favorite record is Clarity okay and Valid. That's. I think that's a
1: common answer. Well, but and so I think that leads to why I fell out with the band because with each record they got slowly away from that sound, which yep. you know, and uh, became more of a straightforward rock band, mm-hmm. uh, which they were great at. But I was
2: very much into the kind of dreamy,
1: more yeah, emo, emo, super emo,
2: long stuff. That's dreamy. why you would love that EP. There's, there's a, a lot of that. Sort of more experimental, like stuff on there. All about it. All about it. Anyway, this is not a Jimmy World podcast. We can make it
1: one. We can because they're awesome. There probably is a Jimmy World. Well, actually, there's one. I can start one. There's one on this network called Washed Up Emo, and so they probably talk a lot about Jimmy World on there.
2: Well, maybe I should go on there and just rant about
1: Jimmy World for an hour. You can you know go on there. You can share. You can cry. It's really it's beautiful. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So no, actually, I want to I want to talk about. So actually, I saw you guys before that tour. Um or oh, actually what was it after I think it was before and you were opening for bleeding through at Club Chrome. I remember that yes, so I think it was before.
2: it was before yeah
1: and uh and that was the first time I I, I heard you guys and I had kind of a bit of a, a revelation and I and I was trying to think about it and I was is under oath you, you, you answered this to me since you're the you're the keyboard player the first
2: band to do breakdowns over keyboards. Um, Is that your pro- fault? Probably. I I hope it's not my fault. I hope I didn't do that. Um, no, for me, like as far as the keyboard stuff goes, like I l- look back at bands like Nine Inch Nails, and even for me when I was when I was starting, like Nightwish, bands like that, like that's what I wanted to do initially because Nightwish. Oh, I I Nightwish was the it for me like back in like probably 2000 99 2000 I, they were nightwish wasn't even on my radar that, that oh yeah or. they yeah they they were like a lot of those bands from that area in that genre like we we were a lot more we were just super metal back then and yeah. and at the time i was playing keyboards because i wanted to have these like super uh orchestral string arrangements and just have it be super uh you know, epic. super epic, yeah. And then my, my taste changed, our music changed, and I was more like, okay, well, now what does, like... I don't want to do that anymore, so what does a keyboard look like in a in a, in a a heavy band? And, uh, you know, I think there were some missteps along the way. I, I did some silly things that I listen to now, and I'm like, I, I was feeling it out. <laughs> uh, but, uh, no, I don't know. I, I know there's been a lot of people that have... Uh, you know, keyboard players that have said that they... Uh, you know, they saw what what we did and enjoyed it and were. It wanted was to unique. That
1: it made the band stand out kind of from the get go. Okay. You know? Cool. You know, because I mean around that time it was there was some cross section with the new metal era where mm-hmm. a lot of those bands would they'd have a DJ, DJ they'd have yeah. a sample guy, they'd have mm-hmm. it was rare they would have just a straight uh keyboard player. Yeah. But that was something you would see in that genre, but in our world it was kind of rare. Yeah. Right? That there would be just an actual keyboard keyboard player, um, but it was something, and the reason why I bring that up, because it, I guess at that time, when I saw you guys, you were still coming out of that, the heavier, evil, kind of mm-hmm. more black metal Im- influenced yeah. style. And it made me think, I was like, it's kind of interesting. And maybe you can kind of give me some um, intuition to this kind of psychology between this cross section of Christian bands, mm-hmm that sounded super fucking evil, (laughs) right? So you had Zayo, you had Embodiment, Mm -hmm. you had Spitfire, you had bands that I don't, like uh, Undying and Prayer for Cleansing, were were they
2: Christian? Prayer for Cleansing was not. You know who Prayer for Cleansing is now, right? Uh, between the bear and me? Yeah, yeah, basically, yeah.
1: But we're but I I guess maybe those I got some confusion between I just maybe I but thought But we everyone, all ran
2: in the same circles though. Yeah. That was the that was an interesting thing. Like we would play was m- together. Morning again were they Christian? Morning again. I they were from I think they were Christian. Yeah. yeah. So is the,
1: is there some duality between you you know this uh kind of purity of mind and kind of uh this this uh want to be, you know, a good person, but yet there's this, like, demon... It's like, it's like, if I can... If I can preach the gospel, but also get my rocks off on this fucking evil-ass music, is there is there something there?
2: Man, I don't know. Like, I think for us, it was just kind of... It was just like a... Uh, I don't know if I want to use the term, like, a scene, but it was just like... There was a... a we loved heavy music, and we... Happened to be Christians, and we saw that there were bands that like played like heavy ass music and were Christians at the same time. But I think growing up, and I I don't, I didn't grow up as much in a Christian household, but uh, you know, a lot of the other guys in the band did, but it was very like heavy music was like. Bad. It was like you don't. You don't. That's not the type of music you play. I mean, in. from your
1: parents and kind yes. of the community at large. Yeah,
2: yeah. It, it was you know, metal in general was looked at as like a, it was like an evil thing. And
1: did you guys? Uh, so I, I heard Spencer
2: say, uh, Tampa. Mm-hmm. Are you from Tampa or kind of? Or was everyone kind of from that area? Eh, that area ish. Yeah. Um, Spencer moved to Florida in 2000. I think it was like right around the time we did that tour, about 2003, and that's when he joined the band. But me, me and Aaron. Uh, go way back from, you know, the the Tampa hardcore scene. And I lived up near Ocala, um, which is where me and our old singer uh, lived and we kind of did our thing up there. But it was all that, kind of that whole Florida, like uh, there was a lot of like strong arm, uh, uh, Shy Haloo, Poison Noel, all that stuff going on down there. Eulogy records, there was,
1: there there seemed to be one of the first tours we ever did, God forbid, was with, Diecast. I mean, oh, where, nice! And we kind of did a straight line down to Florida, and there seemed to be and we'd play random. We played like Valdosta, Georgia, yeah. and, some, and random <laughs> ass places, and like Tallahassee, and there would be these little enclaves and hardcore. Panama scenes. City
2: Beach. <laughs> no, but there was
1: there, there. There did seem to be kind of a pipeline where there were these main hubs. Right, you'd mm-hmm. have. You know new jersey where we lived had a great scene yep. and then you have you have boston and massachusetts and you have uh, long island in new york and
2: yeah well, what know, was really interesting about back then though was that there were these pockets of really unique music going on but it was in the pre not pre there was internet but it was not utilized at all well we have so, i think we have to look at it in two ways
1: there was internet but it was pre-social media. So yeah. social media is, in, in a sense, uh, Internet 2.0 or Internet mm-hmm. 3.0, however you want to look at it. And that, once MySpace came in, it kind of yeah. completely altered how the music is shared and promoted. And yeah. and, and the way uh, communities and scenes connect mm-hmm. and interface.
2: Yeah. Yeah, because for me, it w- I loved... Being like seeing, like being in Tampa, seeing what was going on in the scene there, like like all those bands that you mentioned, there was like a really unique thing going on there. But even like back in the '90s, there was like the whole death metal scene going on in Tampa. Um, Were you into that? Were you part of it? Did you I I was not. Um, I back because how old are you? Are you like you're probably like close I'm thirty five. Okay, yeah. so you're a little younger. Than yeah, you. a little younger. Yeah. So I was not super into that back then. Um, I was, you know, I was I was super into like. Uh, you know, Napalm Death and Fear Factory and stuff like that. But back then, I was not actually going to see live music, so yeah. I was not really not really a part of it. But um, but I loved seeing like I remember hearing about like what was going on in New York, like the Syracuse Cruz area with all the Earth Crisis, all yeah, yeah, Earth Crisis and and all that stuff that was going on up there. And I was like, oh man, like that's a whole other thing that's happening like just hearing about how like militant the whole thing is and how insane the shows were and then you know strife doing their thing and uh you know i got turned on to victory records and i was able to um you know just kind of read into those were you straight edge vegan i i was by default straight edge just because i didn't do anything so i i was just like hell yeah dude i'm straight edge but that was just because i was like a kid and yeah i hadn't uh had not got into anything crazy, so <laughs> not that I, I still haven't, but yeah. Hey man, as I sit here with my black coffee. Hey man, the night's young, all
1: right. We can <laughs> you get crazy. This is your last night on tour, all right? It is. We can get real crazy <laughs> out here, you know. We, we, you know, we you know we have smartphones.
2: We can basically order anything. You know. We, we, we can I mean, we some. got pretty crazy last night. Oh, brother, Where Art Thou? soundtrack. Yeah, we jamming. were just we were
1: just sipping and, and enjoying some tunes, man. It was Great time.
2: You know, you showed us the
1: sick X Toll jams. Oh
2: yeah, that that's hush hush that's unreleased stuff.
1: hell yeah hell yeah um no so so thankfully i did a little bit of research for this oh boy just the bare minimum though because okay, sometimes you have to it's kind of interesting where you have you know i kind of talked about um like an inflection point or, or these crossroads how that tour we did together was this real kind of like meeting of the minds right mm-hmm. of these different bands all at different points in their career then things kind of splinter um and then Spencer joins the band. Mm-hmm. How, how did you actually
2: find him? Um, my wife now um, was living with his then girlfriend. So they were roommates. And uh, I was touring all the time. And he was in another band that was also fairly active. So neither of us actually were living anywhere. So when we were off tour, we would just sleep on the floor on the couch at our at our girlfriend's house. Um so that's kind of how we met. And then uh Dallas left the band our old singer and we were trying to figure out what we wanted to do and at the time um, I had heard one of his band's songs and he his vocals were really good and it was a it was a really nonchalant thing at the time like I brought the song to the rest of the guys in the band I was like yo here's this this guy that lives that I'm basically living with right now, and uh, they heard him, and they're like, "Oh, we should we should have him try out." And um, I asked him, I was like, I, and we had had some demos that we were doing f- uh, with Dallas, and I showed him those demos, and they, dude, they were like, they were really bad. Like listening to him now, like I it it was like really really bad. But I showed him those demos. I was like, Hey, you know, we're we're working on a new record. We need a singer. Like, do you wanna you wanna try out?" And talking to him now, I know that he listened to the demos and he was just like, "This stuff is not good." And he was like hesitant. Just the vocals or all together? And everything was just not not very. He's good. like, "Try out, motherfucker! Yeah. <laughs> Try out." What? Yeah. So so I uh, so he he did because you know we were friends and it and at the time it wasn't as much of a commitment. It's not the, it's not like we knew like, oh, this is gonna be like a almost two decade thing. It was literally just like, hey, do you wanna sing in our band? And he was like, yeah, I could do that. And But with him joining came a lot of musical changes because yeah. he he actually, a lot, a lot of people have this misconception, I think rightfully so, that Spencer joined the band and then we got a lot less heavy because the record that came out before Spencer joined was a lot heavier than the record that Spencer was on but what people don't see is that we had made this extreme shift to like not heavy at all and uh when Dallas was in the band uh bef- bef- before we had uh, recorded the record and when Spencer came in he was like he was like I would love to do this but like we need to like beef this up a little bit like he was he, at the time like super into like uh you know Isis and Dillinger escape plan and stuff like that and he was like so he spoke that influence into the record so when you hear they're only chasing safety that's that is what happened after spencer came in and said this isn't heavy enough so
1: you guys pulled a code seven remember code seven i dude i
2: love code seven yeah. i still love code but Seven. but they
1: kind of did that thing where they got almost too light where yeah they kind of probably turned off mm-hmm. a lot of a lot of people. So he he pulled you from the brink.
2: Yes, I'll I'll let you hear those demos later. It's 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 bad. Yeah, it's it's. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I like how you just ha- you had
2: the files. A lot of
1: people, it's like buried. Somewhere. Oh, I no, like it took bodies.
2: it took me a while to find them. I I had to find them, but a, an old friend of mine had them. So That's I, was, great. I was pretty pumped.
1: So so talk about the inflection point. So he joins the band. Only chasing safety comes out, mm-hmm. and this shit blows the fuck
2: up. Yeah, what the hell happened? So that was a weird point for us because we were on Warp Tour uh, 2004 when the when the album came out, we were on the tour. I think it was for like a week or two before the album came out Um, and we were playing like this little stage, like just playing in front of nobody. And the record came out and I remember it did okay first week. Like we were really, really happy with it Um, and we were just like awesome. And you know how it works. You know, you put a record out first week. You have your first week sales and then it drops off precipitously from there. Usually. Usually. Um, That just didn't happen with that record. Like it was first week and then it just dropped a little bit, but then it just kept steady for a really long time. And what was interesting for us was seeing our shows on that tour because we we were kind of just stuck in this warp Tour bubble because we were on the tour for two months as all this stuff's happening with our record. And our shows are just getting bigger and bigger, and we're like, "Wow, like this is really cool." But everything that we're seeing of what the record is doing is through the lens of warp Tour. So we're, you know, getting like calls from our label. They're like, "This record's like doing something really cool," and we're like, "Yeah, like our shows are really good." And they're like, "No, like outside of that tour, like it, you know, it's it's going really well." Um, so it was a it was really weird because we started the tour playing in front of like, I mean, you know, what crowds were like back then, like you know. 50 people maybe. Tour is
1: weird. I don't, I don't really get the whole, Hey, we're going to have 50 stages, but only people care about two stages.
2: Yeah. For us, it was literally like, if we're playing in the same parking lot as the bands that are on this tour, like we'll take it. Like we've always kind of had that, that mentality of just like put us in front of people and we'll, we'll do the rest. So, you know, that was our mentality at the time. And it just, yeah, it's crazy. It just kept, kept going. Did you guys get bumped up to a bigger stage? No, not on that tour. But more
1: people just started showing up. Yes,
2: yeah, more people started showing up. Um, I think maybe one day we may have played a, a, a little bit bigger of a stage, but it wasn't until the following year that we um got got bumped up to a, yeah. to a bigger stage. Yeah, I, I mean, th- thinking about it now,
1: I guess it's just, uh, you know, kind of hitting that right balance between everything. It's like the right record at mm-hmm. the right time. Yeah, And it was, if you think about it, that was essentially the the last gasp of big record sales, mm-hmm. right? That two thousand four to two thousand six yeah. time was when you could still sell a lot of albums, yeah. Um, and then you had essentially kind of the peak of our scene, right? The Kill Switches and the Lamb of God's were taking mm-hmm. off, but then you had you know Thursday and Thrice and uh, Taking mm-hmm. Back Sunday, and that that world was kind of the use that was kind of at the peak as well. So you had kind of this this cross section. Yeah of uh, a few different events. And uh, and it, like I said, I felt in many ways, like a, um, you know, almost distant from you guys. Like, oh, those, those are my guys, I used to know. I... Yeah. But I feel like <laughs> we didn't have much crossover. We were in yeah, different worlds. Yeah, we didn't worlds. at all, yeah. Um. Yeah. So, but I, I I basically had to a- admire the, the success from afar, but I, was, I couldn't believe when I was like, the record went gold and I'm like, damn, these dudes are... Like, did you feel at a certain point, because after obviously that tour ended, and eventually, you'd headline and kind of do bigger tours and have bigger opportunities. And you, I mean, what was that experience like? Did you become a quote unquote rock star or no, ever feel like
2: that? No, it was weird for us because like we we were very ignorant to like what was happening in our quote unquote career because it wasn't until that point that like we were like, oh, like we can come home and not be paying to go on tour. Like we can actually like make money and pay yeah. our pay our phone bills and all this stuff so we it was the thing that we did after warp tour we didn't headline until the following year like we we did a support tour with coheed and cambria and that went really well um and i'll never forget the first date of our first headliner after throwing chasing safety came out we were playing this club called the door in dallas and um i don't remember i think it was like a 1200 cap club or something like that, and there were so many people that showed up to get door tickets that they called the police and they shut down the street in front of the venue. And there was like, like cops with like riot stuff had showed up, and nobody was doing anything. Like it was there was no like violence or anything, but they were like, there's just this crowd of people in front of this venue, and we need to like take care of it. I guess. And that was the point where all of us were like, oh, like, this is weird. Like, (laughs) it was very, very odd. Were you getting odd attention just from the fans and from that? Like, was that still fairly normal or were people mobbing you or? No, there was never anything like crazy. Like, it was just stuff like, you know, go to the mall on the weekend and there'd be a handful of people that would come and say, hey, like that sort of thing. But, you know, I've never really been that's never really been weird for me. Like I like talking, I like hanging out with people. So I'm, I've always been down with that, but um, yeah, it was it, it for us. I think it was kind of a, uh, uh, it just kind of happened and I don't, we didn't really know what to do and we kind of were just along for the ride. And I don't think it was really until years later that we, uh, realized the impact of, you know, everything that was going on. Yeah. Um,
1: yeah, I think it's I think it's super fascinating because listening, I kind of just did like a quick browse through all the all the records mm-hmm. and then the couple records after that, it's almost like you guys got heavier.
2: That's an interesting thing because we, The Only Chasing Safety came out and it was, you know, pretty melodic, pretty poppy. And our record label and our manager and everybody was like, when you guys go and do another record, you know, lean into that. Like that's going to be the thing that like, pushes you guys but at the time we were just like we were touring with all these bands that were you know super melodic and we were just like we want to do something like dark we want to do something heavy and that was the same thing honestly that happened with their only chasing safety because we were touring with like bleeding through you guys mm-hmm. darkest hour and like we kind of got to the point where we were just like we want to do something like melodic we want to do something light and um we uh ended up putting out their only chasing safety. So we kind of have this history of like whatever we're in, we just want to get out of it and do something different. So we uh, recorded their only chasing, uh, sorry, uh, Define the Great Line, which came out right after only chasing safety. And I'll I'll never forget, we were leaving the studio after recording that. And I remember telling Spencer in particular, I was like, there's going to be a lot of pissed off 13 year old girls and that was the 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 phrase that I told him I'm never going to forget it, and because we thought, oh okay, we're we're doing this like heavier record, and people are not going to be as into it, but we're the ones on stage every night playing these songs, so we don't give a rip. And then that record comes out and blows "Throwing Chasing Safety" out of the water as far as sales go. Yeah. And we were just like, and we were live, and the songs were going over, and we were like, oh wow, like that's weird, but we were stoked because we were playing what we wanted to play. So. to win an exclusive merchandise package from Evergreen Podcasts. Head to evergreenpodcast.com slash listener survey to help a show and possibly get some free stuff for doing so. We can't thank you enough for the support. Now back to the show. Hello, Tom May here, host of Future Friday. I've spent the last 15 years on the road with my band, The Menzingers, where I've met all kinds of wild and fascinating people. So I started a podcast. On Future Friday, I talk to fellow musicians about the moments that made them, their passions outside of music, and the curiosities that tie us all together. I've also talked to the likes of UFO researchers, magicians, soldiers, and documentary filmmakers, and I'm constantly searching for folks that can shape and change our view of the world. You can check out Future Friday wherever you like. Ever wonder what a punch from Elton John feels like? Or how you cope with having turned down the chance to be in Nirvana? So join us on Too Much Effing Perspective. That's E F F I N G Perspective, the only podcast you crank up to eleven.
1: Yeah, it kind of reminded me more of in the vein of uh, every time I die or Norma Jean, just mm-hmm. real burly, mm-hmm. chaotic riffs, and and you know the screaming was still really in, in, intense. Um, and it's just I think in a, in, in a lot of ways, uh, you know where. A lot of bands, I, I see that in, even I look at a band like Mastodon or I look at a band like Gojira where they kind of, they were, they hit this moment where all of a sudden everyone was paying attention to them and they didn't go right away and just, all right, now it's time to sell out or go mm-hmm. commercial. They kind of took, eventually I think both those bands kind of got there and now I, I've noticed that with you guys with your new record. Mm-hmm. It's almost, now it's kind of come full full circle where, where the melody and it's a little more, leaned into the rock element of of things and it's that it's not chaotic in that same kind of way
2: yeah but i think that for us it's still that same attitude um go it it was the same attitude going into this record because before this record we we'd broken up for a few years and we didn't think we were going to play anymore super long story but when we came back together and we finally actually decided we wanted to record again our whole thing was we know that if we came back together and did the thing that we have done like we know how to do that and that's going to do well and people are going to be pumped on it and you know it'll make a lot of fans happy but we we're like where are we as musicians and what do it, it's that same mentality of like we have to play these songs every night so what are going to be the songs that we're going to get up on stage and be pumped as not 20 year old under oath but like mid to late 30s under oath like and be happy have that same joy playing music like what is that going to be and the songs on this record are what that was and it it was the same thing like coming out of the studio i remember talking to the dudes and just being like man there's gonna be a lot of pissed off people but these songs are awesome and i can't wait to go on tour and you know it's dude yeah well that was kind of the point i was going to make is that by
1: in, in, in a sense zigging when people think you're gonna zag, it really, you you kind of build up um, a foundation of artistic credibility, right? People see that despite the success of one album or the next album that you guys had no inhibitions about doing what you wanted to do. There was mm-hmm. no like, okay, you know, we're going to do this contrived move for commercial success. Mm-hmm. And, and I think I think when you do that enough, um, and luckily you were able to kind of, your audience was willing to go with you yeah. on the journey and you were able to, to sustain something over a longer enough period of time where it
2: worked. Um, and I think that is is present now. Even yeah, and, though- it, and it doesn't work a lot too. I think that that's super... Uh, notable to mention, like there's bands that do that all the time that are just like, yeah, we have this audience. We have these people that love what we do, but we want to do this other thing yeah. and it doesn't work and people don't follow them along for the ride. And like, I think coming to that point for us where we're, we were okay with risking that. um, I think that that's a weird spot to be in being like, yeah, like now that this is actually our career, like we've got wives and kids, like you know it would be easy for us to be like all right let's do the thing that we know works that way we can do these tours and all yeah. this stuff but if you look at it like, like that's just like that's the worst like, well i think it's i've i've noticed that it's all about n- not being
1: too drastic and if you listen to your records in succession mm-hmm. nothing feels like let, what the hell is that Yeah, it, everything feels natural mm-hmm. and even though there's there's differences but you see bands like with ha- suicide silence they mm-hmm. took a hard turn mm-hmm. and it it kind of hurt their career and I I, I had Mark on here when we talked about before the album came out and just talking about the risks involved mm-hmm. you know and they were kind of ready to deal with that and it you know it had some some consequences or you look at bring me the horizon who mm-hmm. every record they change but it's just enough in a mm-hmm. certain direction where um, where people you, see the next record coming. Yeah, well, yeah. They've, they now they've established that, that this is kind of what they're
2: going to do, and they're. But it still feels like the same band, mm-hmm. you know. I, you know, it feels I, like the same band if you're listening to every record. Yes. If you if you just listen to an old record and then you listen to the new record, you're like that. How does yeah. that work? But if you're listening to it. in a row you're like oh you 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 see artists growing you see where they're heading you see where their tastes have changed and i i love that personally like yeah but it it takes i
1: think a very special band to be able to do that and at least they've done it with each record Mm -hmm. where it's this it is an evolution and it's not like they had five records that sounded one way and then they flipped it's like this record is one thing this record's another Mm -hmm. thing and so on so on and so forth so i i just think i think it's it's very commendable that you guys have have done that because i think once you become kind of dependent financially on your band, mm-hmm. it's difficult to
2: not have those things bleed into yeah. M- motivations. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, and I think that that's for us where breaking up was a was a huge... Uh, so let's talk about a, that. Why, why, why did you guys break up? A lot of reasons. Because um, Aaron had quit. Yeah, Aaron had quit. Um, did he do like the, the final tour? No, he did, uh, he played a song at one show. Wow,
1: um, so what did you guys do for who was doing his parts? Uh,
2: Daniel Davison, he was. Uh, he joined the band, um, he was in the band for a few years, uh, we did a record with him, uh, which I'm still super proud of, um, but I think that it had kind of, we had all just I think personally got into a spot where we were not in love with what we were doing, and there was a big element of our schedule being insane. Yeah. But at the same time, half of us being fathers. Let me ask you this with the schedule. Is that self-imposed or is that like a management kind of? It was business? self-imposed. Okay. Yeah, because we, up until that point, we had we had really had this, this uh, view of we're either going to do this 110% and be road dogs, or we're not going to do it because we, we. I think we um, we attributed our effort in being a band to how many shows we were playing. Yeah, and because of a work, work. Uh, qu- was it quantity over quality? Yeah, and but I think that that just comes from our. I th- I think mine and yours both like just kind of the the way that we came up, the the work ethic. It was always. Uh, Get us in front of people. Let us play shows. Like that was how you built what you did. Well, just that's to me. That's what a band was. Where you're a live band. Yes. And you made Every band was a live yeah, band. Yeah. yeah. That that was. Well, that's what we do. If we're not playing, then what are what are we? Exactly. And we had gotten to a point where we were just touring so much, and um, we were growing apart personally a lot. Yeah. Um, we were less happy being on the road because we were missing our kids, and there there was it was a lot of stuff going on. Um, but we just got to a point where we were just like we're not gonna do this anymore like we're I, like specifically me and Tim and James were very much of the mindset of I would rather be at home and getting a regular job and coming home and seeing my kids every day than doing this so did you have a regular job again? I did for years what were you doing I was uh it was. Honestly, a dream. I uh, got hooked up with this company in DC that did um, uh, computer. Uh, it was like computer work for government contracts. So I worked from home and did all this like IT support stuff. It's so funny. I was literally gonna say IT guy. Oh, I, I felt it in the. Co- I had a thing. I read your mind. I, felt I mean, your, look your at aura. me. You know me. <laughs> 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 yeah. No, I did. Uh, it was all like servers. It's very boring to talk about, but like server support and uh end user support and it was all department of housing and urban development and i did that for i think like three years um shout out to ben carson you know holding down the, holding it down <laughs> just doing a great job bang up job doing, doing such a good job in general you know that's what, but no that was it that was honestly a dream because i worked from home i clocked in and clocked out eight hours a day but while i was working like my kids are coming in and just like i'm Seeing their drawings be and like, shut up, Daddy's working. Yeah. No, <laughs> shut <it> was, up. <laughs> shut the hell up. I'm working. I said close that door. <laughs> no, it's it's like that. Have you seen the video of that guy who's doing the interview? Oh, and his baby his, comes oh, in? Oh my yeah. gosh. Yeah, that was basically my life every day. Okay. It was it was it was great. Shut the <laughs> yeah. hell up. I said daddy's working. <laughs> and then his wife comes in,
1: just <laughs> tackles the baby. I don't think that was wife. I feel like that was like their like nanny
2: or something. You know, the funny thing is everybody said it was his nanny because she was not white, but turns out it was his wife. Oh, see, now I'm racist. You're such a, oh man, I thought better of you. She's, she's, okay. That's his wife. Guys, you know what? Why why I can't re- it be his wife? I, I denounce. It's because his, she's
1: Asian? I denounce and reject both of us. <laughs> well actually no, just me, you know, I'm, I'm, you know what?
2: Put that on me. Oh man, I can't wait for the, for the headlines for this one. That's all right. Allegations, Doc Coyle. I, I'll just come on, listen, I can't be racist, man. <laughs>
1: Brothers can't be racist, <laughs> which is not true. But I'm gonna say I'll just say it anyway. Um, anyway, so you were work, you're working from home. You, yeah. you It was a dream. It was awesome. You were fixing the IT shit. You were taking Dude. care. Of you you were doing computer solutions. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and so how does it, So so it's actually interesting. Probably, by you probably notice I'll be talking about something, and halfway through a sentence, I'll something else will come to me. <laughs> you had turns. That's right. It's poor <laughs> poor interview technique. But oh hell know, no! It, it goes that way sometimes. Um. It's interesting listening to the new record, which is awesome. Like I was I was going through, I was like, fuck, this album is good. Awesome, thank you. And uh, it's kind of, the band I actually got into while you guys were broken up was Spencer's other band, Sleepweight. Gotcha, okay. I was a really big fan of that. Oh, and I, awesome. And I didn't really know, realize how good of a singer he was mm-hmm. and how interesting his voice was. And now that I hear your new record, it has a lot more of a direct line to that band. Like, it reminds me more of that mm-hmm. than it does of kind of older yeah. undero stuff. And I, I don't know if that was, did he have more influence on that or is that just his vocal style is a little more pronounced kind of now? Or?
2: Um, I think that uh, what most of that ties back to is probably just because he uh, obviously was fully engaged in the vocals of Sleepwave. Like, he was the vocalist. Yeah. And with our new record, you know, Spencer is or sorry, Aaron is singing some, but not nearly as much as he did. Spencer's a lot more in the forefront of the vocals and he's screaming less. You know, he, he's still screaming a bunch, but it's a lot more uh, melodic vocals from him. So I think that those two kind of put together, like if you've heard Sleep Wave and you hear the new stuff, you're like, oh, Spencer's singing all the time and it's kind of heavy and it's electronic. It was, yeah. I think more, it's more so just the, uh, the vocal stuff. Like it, it wasn't a thing where he... Came in is like, hey, I did this with Sleepwave, so now here's what I want to do. Granted, you know him and him and Aaron still wrote a lot of music, so that was, um, you know, me. Yeah. Well, so I have, I have a lot of th- thoughts about this
1: because um, I think, you know, I love to kind of figure it out. Like, how did how did this band become this? And I think a big part of your guys' success is Spencer. He just the dude just he looks like a rock star, you know. <laughs> And you know he's he he really works the crowd great. Um, but th- there's this thing where I felt like there was this era where we'd have all these kind of hardcore metalcore emo bands where you'd have a frontman who couldn't really sing, mm-hmm. he'd be like a screamer, and then you'd have you know the drummer be singing like you yeah. know, from autumn to ashes or mm-hmm. the guitar player would be singing or bass player like you know of mice and man and th- things like that, but the biggest difference is he can actually sing. Mm-hmm. So instead of just having, oh, here's the the drummer doing the heavy lifting with all the melodic vocals, you have another, so it's, it's an addition. So he's not just like, oh, here, I'm gonna yell over here. Yeah. No, he can sing and he has his really own unique voice. Mm-hmm. They have Aaron back here, who is a fucking amazing singer and he has his own voice. And then now over the course of the records, that kind of like melds together. And I, I think give you gives you guys such an advantage.
2: Yeah, and, and but what's funny is if you know the history of how that came about, it's, it's weird because before Spencer joined the band, he was in a, in a band that he'll admit basically wanted to be Code 7 at the time. And he was only singing in that band. Um, There was no screaming at all. And it wasn't until not long before he joined our band that he started screaming. But when he came in to join our band, the role that he had to fill was of the screamer. So that he was like, okay, that's what I'll do. I'll just be the screaming guy. And Aaron was the singing guy. And that was just the dynamic that had already been there before he joined the band. And it wasn't until subsequent records that we were like, oh, like maybe we can bring in this other voice. And then when Aaron left the band, that was his like big step forward and he was like okay well now I'm doing all the vocals so I'm going to like completely branch out yeah. so it's yeah it's it's kind of cool to see it come full circle like that yeah that always apparently I heard that's what
1: the deal with um, Corey Taylor mm-hmm. that he had Stone Sour before he had Slipknot and he was a singer mm-hmm. and essentially he had to learn how to scream to be oh, a wow. Slipknot and so he kind of flipped it but his natural mode was to be a singer not yeah. really
2: a screamer not for me he's, he's a screamer He's just screaming for me. You he's so sick. He don't
1: want you to stay on that side of the boat. How he's dare so you? that motherfucker, <laughs> motherfucker sing good as no, shit? No, he can. He's, oh, he's he so can do good. it all. Yeah, he can. He's great. So now, now this will be the part where we just talk
2: about Corey. I'll, like, I'll, do, yeah, I'll talk, we talk fluff about
1: Corey Corey Taylor's balls. for Yeah, the next let's do it. Minutes? And then I'll,
2: yeah, we'll we'll send it to him. We'll be like, hey, want to hear us fluff your balls? For Listen, man. Here we go. He he knows. You know <laughs> he knows. He's like, yeah, I'm am I'm, I'm I'm pretty dope. Yeah, no, they're they're all they're all so good.
1: Love that band but um but 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 no i i think that going back to what i said actually do you have do we have any theories about why all these bands where all of a sudden all these drummers could sing and the guitar but you know alexis on fire dude all these bands where it's like what what was going on is that we couldn't find us is that i i the, this-
2: the only thing that i know i can speak from experience is our old singer before Spencer joined the band, could not actually sing. He could only scream. But that's what I'm
1: saying. But yeah. is that what happened? That we would we'd be in the hardcore scene and we just find, oh, that dude looks cool. He has like a neck tattoo and he screams good. So then we make him the singer. And then we then you get older and then you're like, man, screaming all the time kind of sucks.
2: Can you fucking asshole sing? And then one dude's just really good at singing. That I think that is exactly what happens. I don't think that any of those bands, us included. Uh, started out being like, Okay, well, let's let's find somebody who can be the front man that cannot sing. It was I think it, a lot of times it just started as a band that wanted to be a heavy band and then one day it was like, We should do something melodic and then the guy in the front's like, I can't really do that and then yeah, I think that that's probably how it happened most well, of the I think time.
1: It's funny because that was kinda of like thing in the seventies, right? So you had like Don Henley mm-hmm. was playing drums and singing and then you had uh Phil Collins in Genesis and then um what was his name? Uh so uh, Peter Gabriel, yeah, he was a drummer too, right? Mm-hmm.
2: What the fuck was going? So it was no, like- P- was Peter Gabriel a drummer?
1: I don't know. No, because he was in Genesis with yes, Phil but, Collins, but, but, but he wasn't a drummer. Cur- yeah, because Phil was playing drums. I don't know, mm-hmm. man. Here's the thing. I don't either. This is ig- this is the ignorance hour with Doc Coyle. Uh,
2: and, no, and and speaking of Phil Collins, check out Phil's Phil's on Instagram. That's all I'm saying. It's one of my favorite Instagram pages. Okay, it's just nothing but Phil Collins playing the In the Air Tonight. Phil, in indifferent. Points in time, really? It's the could. whole Instagram page,
1: Phil's, Phils. He can't get him doing Phils and other songs.
2: No, it's just that's the only Phil that matters. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> the,
1: the greatest Phil. There's also really good Phil in Jack and Diane.
2: Yes, yeah, dude. He there, there's so much. That's
1: not him though. That's that other. Yeah.
2: That's that ballhead dude. I forget his name.
1: He's not who. Uh, the guy who's playing in for um, uh, John Cougar Mellencamp. That's in Jack and Diane. There's a really cool drum fill in that that song. I'll take your word for it. I don't remember it. You don't know Jack and Diane? I know the song.
2: Yeah, but I don't remember the fill. Can you mouth it? Not really. Okay, cool. It's a a drum (laughs) (laughs) fill. But anyway, so this is
1: the the part of the podcast where um, I uh, wax... Uh, Historical about some shit I don't know about, and and I refuse to Google it. Okay, and we're not going to bore people with that. And I don't have like. We're just going to
2: be okay with not knowing.
1: Well, Matt. So, but if I was Joe Rogan, I'd be like, Jamie, can you, um, (laughs) Jamie, pull that shit up? Can you you pull that up? Um, I don't have a Jamie. All right, I just have me. All right, I have to do do research to figure this shit out before I start before I start talking about it. (laughs) But I'm still confounded about this era where we had a guy in the front who looked good with some neck tattoo, you know, all the girl, but he could scream, he can't sing, he Mm -hmm. could try to sing, it'd be kind of bad, and it just was weird. And then, you know, then the motherfucker in the back was like, man, I need to be like Phil Collins. I need to go solo. Why am I doing all this this work? You know, that's why Aaron left. He's like, man, fuck this shit, man. I got to go get paid, That's why I'm
2: going solo. Yeah? No, I can't go solo, I can't sing. Yeah, but you can do like your electronic project. Yeah, I should just get into that EDM world. That's where it's all at right now. Well,
1: yeah, you just yeah. do. You get like a big like helmet, yeah.
2: right, <laughs> and put something crazy on it. It'll just be my face digitally on the helmet, just huge. Yeah. yeah.
1: By the way, so the, so before we go, I'm not gonna keep you much much, much longer. Um, All's well. I'm hanging. You hanging? I listen, I'm a busy man. I have many. Oh uh, yeah, I know you are. Yeah, I'm I have donuts to eat. Um, so we we never talked about. So when we toured together. Almost, actually, how long has it been? It's actually sixteen years ago. Yep, a long time ago. Yep. Um, you guys, n- none of you guys drank. Correct. These guys didn't curse. Correct. And I believe half the band was even virgins because you guys were not. We're saving yourself until you were married. Yes. Okay. A- yes. And and now you guys are just a bunch of fucking animals. You know what I'm saying? Just, just married doing,
2: animals. That's
1: right. Just doing shots off, motherfuckers. Uh, nipples and you know, <laughs> cursing up a storm, just saying cock neck and dickhead. What, was that when was that last night? I could swear yes. you <laughs> called me a dickhead <laughs> uh, last, last night. But um, you know, I you know, I don't want to dwell on the on the on the Christian things. I'm sure it's pretty boring at this point to get uh, kind of hammered about nah, that dude. stuff. But um, you know, how how does that e- evolution? Because I was watching. I don't know if you've seen. Uh, my buddy Finn McKenty has a, a YouTube page called the Punk Rock NBA. He did an episode about Christian Core, Christian Christian Metal, mm-hmm. and basically you guys. He considers Under Oath to be like the most important band of that scene. Okay. And um, and I, you know, there's been s- there's so 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 much of an evolution because I was me, I'm not you know not religious, but I was a fan of all these bands because I just liked the music. Like I'm one of those guys like I really. Don't really pay attention to lyrics and mm-hmm. things like that. I don't. You could be talking about fucking mustard or yeah. fuck. You know what I'm saying? Talking about you know a whole album about Lethal Weapon. I will, I, <laughs> I wouldn't know. I ain't reading the motherfucker. Especially if you're screaming. So I I just if if I like the band, I like the band. I yeah. didn't really, I didn't I didn't really care. But I've definitely seen an evolution of bands when they're super young mm-hmm. and they have a certain mentality. And some bands have transitioned out and said, "Hey, you know, we're no longer a Christian band" or things like that. But. Uh, you know, what kind of evolved over over time where you can kind of expand the palette of what you could experience?
2: Yeah, I think that um, by and large, it was individual and different for everyone. Um, I think that as a whole, though, we got to a point, it was probably around 2011-ish, where we had just kind of come to the realization that individually, our as, as far as being Christian, like our, uh, or sorry, as far as being a Christian band, our individual views and beliefs about just a number of different things were so different. Yeah.
1: Did you guys like talk? Did you have meetings about things like this or in-depth discussions? We'd,
2: uh, sometimes, but, but. Not officially. Th- uh, no, not officially. We We did have a talk. Where we were like, is it disingenuous for us to cons- to continue to call ourselves a Christian band? Yeah. Um. And we came to the realization that it was, and that was a big thing for us because we we're like we value being honest uh, above most other things, and we did not feel comfortable going on stage and saying that we were a Christian band because our 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 beliefs and our lives had grown in so many different ways. You it did, moved not, you so did m- not feel comfortable. Correct. You we did not feel comfortable gotcha. saying that anymore. Um, not to say that we were all not Christians. It was just a thing. If, if we're not all on this same page, then it's disingenuous to say that, that we are. Yeah. Um, and I think that with that came um, us being a little more comfortable just being who we are and also... Uh, just kind of taking each other at who we are and not like who we want each other to be. It's like, you know, Oh, like, you know, I want this guy to act this way because of, you know, a, a a belief that I hold and, and that, that sort of stuff. Cause I think that a lot of it stems not so much from being Christians or being a Christian band, but just from being starting in a band really young and being in this like van with these other dudes And then growing up together in that van, experiencing all this stuff, but then coming back to that van and like not wanting to admit that like I'm starting to be way different from this guy. Like, I, we, when we started, we were all right here. And it was almost, it wasn't stated bluntly, but it was like almost not okay to be like, I'm not sure what I believe you know, I'm not sure. Just questioning. Yeah. Like that, that was, it wasn't, it wasn't stated, but it was, there was a vibe, you know? And, um, you know, I think that just in general, you know, we've just experienced so much and we've met so many people and we have grown, we've changed in so many different ways. And I think that where that brings us to now is just, I think a more real, relationship with each other individually and I'm I'm able to be who I am around my friends and they're able to be who they are around me and there's a mutual appreciation and mutual love just for them as dudes and not them as my bandmate. Yeah. Um and you know, but even still today like you know we we are as far as our beliefs, as far as our faith or lack thereof go, like we're on all different wavelengths, you know. Like um you know, I'm I consider myself a Christian and a couple of other guys do and a couple of other guys don't. Um, but that's not who we are identifying ourselves as a group. You know, we're, we're a band. We're dudes that love each other and love playing music. And that's where we're at. So. Well, I think it's really impressive despite uh,
1: Aaron leaving uh, temporarily that with the exception of the vocalists, when we toured together, it's all the same guys, mm-hmm. which is, I mean, that's a testament to your ability to evolve with each other and, and it's kind hard. Of accept accept, yeah. because you're, like you said, you're not going to be the same person philosophically at, uh, 19 or 20 that you are going to be at 35. Yeah. Um, and it's important to kind of grow with that and learn to accept and kind of have some compassion for just differences.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I think that it's for, for me, it was, you know, a bit of it was a little scary because it was like being a guy in a Christian band was like the only thing I had known so it was like it kind of left me to like oh well if my identity is not in this thing then what is my identity yeah. you know and I think it, it was that was the beginning of a lot of searching for me and like kind of taking a step back and saying you know do I believe all of this do I believe some of this like do I believe these things because I believe them or do I believe them because somebody's been telling me since I was a kid that that's what's right you know and um, you know I think it's not just the band that has uh, fueled a lot of that. It's, you know, being a husband, being a father, and just, you know, living this life that we both live, being out here doing this, you know, coming into contact with so many different walks of life and like trying to reconcile all this stuff together. It's, you know, it's different for everybody, but it's it's healthy. I think that just the biggest thing is me on so many different uh, levels being okay with saying, I don't know. Like, yeah, I I have no idea, but here's what I think. Yeah, you know, whereas well, I, that I, was hard for a long time. Well,
1: me. I think that takes. Um, there's, I always say, be wary of the most certain people. Yeah, the people who are the most certain about about anything. Mm-hmm. Um, be a little on edge about those those people because I think the, in many ways, the most intelligent path is to understand what you don't know. Yeah, um, and the, the, I feel like the more I know, the less I know, mm-hmm. you know, and the more I find out about. A subject, but that's a great spot to be in. Like that's yeah. a to well, be... it's, it's, a, it's a humility of ignorance. Yeah, and and I don't, you know, like I said, I don't want to do the humble brag. Like I'm so humble because I don't, I, you know, obviously that's that's very annoying. But um, I do think being in the in 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 the position of saying, hey, I don't know the answer to this, and to be okay with living in the gray area mm-hmm. and I think I was watching this documentary on uh, Flat Earthers mm, that's um, a great one uh, on, on Netflix did you see that one yeah, uh, behind, the, the c- behind the curve Behind yeah. Um, and the thing I found it, and, it's, and I think there's a, a through line with all uh, people who are really really into conspiracy theories is that they're uncomfortable with having no answer they're mm-hmm. uncomfortable with kind of the chaotic nature of mm-hmm. the universe so it's I need to know definitively yeah. Or I need to know. And the thing is, especially when it comes to uh, scientific pursuits, right? Like how much do, do we not know about black holes or yeah. dark matter or fuck all this shit that, you know, I, I have not even the educational depth to even talk about mm-hmm. any, any uh, real sense of things. Um, it's just, I think that's just scary for people. So it's just not knowing just to say, if I say, I don't know what's going to happen when I die. Mm-hmm. Right. Or imagine, so you have children mm-hmm. and if your kids say, Daddy, what happens when we die? Mm-hmm. It's probably as a parent, and I since I'm not a parent, I haven't had that. It's probably a lot more reassuring to be able to tell your your child something comforting.
2: Yes, you know. Yeah, it's it's weird. Like I think that that uh, that fear of uncertainty is is a lot of I think what drives what would be considered the evangelical Christian community in the U.S. Like the the mega Church, like the everything you know, as long as you believe in God, everything's going to be good. You know, you're going to be taken care of. Like, uh, you know, you're going to have money as long as you believe enough. Like all that Was stuff, that the like prosperity gospel. Yeah, all <laughs> that stuff. I think that that's probably what fuels a lot of it. But I think a more mature way to look at that is be- being okay with saying, I don't know. Like, if my daughter asks me, like, well, what happens when we die? I say. Nobody really knows, but here's what I believe. Yeah. And leaving that, I, I'm not telling her definitively like that this is it. But I'm saying like, you know, nobody knows. But in my experience, here's things that have happened to me. Here's things from people that I know. Like here's here's what I believe happens. Yeah.
1: Well, you're giving you're giving your your child the the chance to essentially say because th- the first thing is is definitively true, right? Because if you said Unequivocally, this is what happens. Yeah, it's a lie because since we've never been dead before, mm-hmm. there's no way you know. So you start from a the uh, the first point of honesty, mm-hmm. which I think is amazing, and then I think allowing uh, a child to say, "I believe this," and it kind of puts in that in the air the idea that that's just exactly how beliefs work. Yes, is that we're allowed because yeah. we're lucky enough to live in a free society where we can say. I have the ability to look at the world, examine it, and figure out what what exactly I do believe.
2: And yeah, I, and, that, and that was something that, you know, being in a church when I was young was looked down upon, which I, I really am, am conscious of. Uh, I, I'm being conscious with that with my kids because I I want, I've seen so many times where people I grew up with that were in a church that were unequivocally like, this is what I believe. This is what's true. Everything else is a lie, no matter what. They get to be 20, 22, 25 years old, and they're like, well, wait a minute. Like, maybe what, like, was everything that I've learned a lie? Because th- there's like, there's like, there'll be one brick out of the wall that kind of gets pulled out. They're like, yeah, I actually yeah. don't believe that thing. And then this whole thing comes down. Whereas if it was built on a foundation of this is what we believe, and here's what i've experienced and there would be that that openness to when they were not when they were 25 but when they were 13 being like i wonder about this like i wonder if uh you know i wonder if there could be more to this and then being being comfortable coming and asking parents asking you know if they go to church asking their pastor like hey i think that this thing in the bible might be bull. what do you have to say about that and having that comfortability like i wish that that was just a common thing yeah and it's it's as on a, on a whole, it's not. And I think that, you know, all we can do is, um, all we just as adults, as people in, in, you know, somewhat of a, uh, not authoritative figure. I mean, I guess as a dad, I am, but you know, in a, in a spot where, you know, some people, whoever they are, look up to us, like just having that be a constant thing, being always saying, like, I don't know about whatever and being comfortable with it.
1: Yeah. No, I think uh, you, you brought a great point about the brick in that mm-hmm. I think it's difficult for anyone to really pull the threads of the major kind of pillars of your belief mm-hmm. because if it does crumble down, you are left with that idea of, well, if this is wrong, then who am I, right? You yeah. have to kind of pull apart your entire identity mm-hmm. and that is very scary. So it's difficult once you're almost like too far gone down a certain path it's like, listen, I'm too far in, brother. I can't, yeah. I can't entertain it. And that when alternative ideas almost become a threat yes. to who you are, and that's and that's why it's difficult. Like, I pretty much don't um, get into um, debates about um, religion or anything because I I just feel like it's it's boring to me. Mm-hmm. I've I've kind of I've, I've already uh, done my work on it, and it's not. I don't feel like it's my job to. Um, proselytize the way I think, and mm-hmm. I don't. And because I have so many friends who have different beliefs, it's like I don't want that to be the basis of our friendship. It was like, yeah. we have to agree. I, I don't care. Like me and um, Tim Lambesis got into a lot of uh, debates, but what it was never contentious. It was mm-hmm. and it was always like natural. Yeah, it was just natural kind of conver- conversation, and you know where we kind of we there was some debate where I would kind of and he even told me in, in you know years afterward where he was like. Yeah, things you said actually penetrated with me, you mm-hmm. know, in a way. But it wasn't because I'm like, all right, I'm going to.
2: Here's my point. Yes. No, but I I
1: want to bring you on my side. I'm just telling you the way I, I, I see see the world. And I don't, uh, because I just don't think it's, uh, I don't know. Like I said, it's fundamentally not interesting to
2: me. Yeah, but, but I think it also depends on the, the what your attitude is coming into any of those conversations because I feel like a lot of people go into those type of conversations saying, okay, I'm going to convince this guy that I'm right. I think specifically on... Yeah, the- but it's more than that. It's, you're stupid and I'm smart. And I think that's the,
1: you know, because I'm, you know, I watch like Bill Maher and stuff and, mm-hmm. and things like that and one of the biggest things I don't think he gets is that the smugness yeah. of I'm smart, you're stupid has a very small kind of... Um, you know uh, that that doesn't It's not helping your case. It doesn't move minds. Yeah, It's that, you know, you kind of have to have even if someone believes something that you think is ridiculous. You they're still a person and you have to treat them on this this level and there it's just it's it's bad um uh persuasion. Mm-hmm. It's it's bad, you know, and I and I think you can kind of lay things
2: out, but people generally are not moved by just logic yeah and i think that uh, a big reason for that is people like like i was saying people come into these conversations hoping to advance their their view but i think that if you go into to specifically if it's people that believe something you think is completely wrong i love going into those conversations with like teach me what i don't know like what is the thing that i'm not getting like explain to me this not so that i can read like, have a rebuttal, but just like, like the flat earth documentary, like I was watching that being like, okay, like convince me why it is that you believe this. I, you're not, I'm not going to, I don't think believe that the earth is flat. Yeah. I was waiting for something compelling and I never, Yeah. (laughs) every time I was like, really? But even that, even (laughs) though all the, all these arguments were just complete bull at what I did learn is who those people were and what it was that drove them to these sorts of beliefs and that's something that i now know i'm like oh when i see these people like they have a community of people that they feel like they belong to and they all share this belief and it it bonds them and now i know that that's like okay that's what i think is at the heart of it you know it's about it's a certainty of i know what's going on and it's a it's a uh it's also it, it a lot of parallels with with a lot of religion as well. There's I have certainty of things that are going on and community. It's, there's a community and there's a simpleness to it where it's a uh I don't know this because these people are keeping it away from me. Yeah. And I know? think
1: there's also an element of
2: I'm special. We're special. It's kinda like we're the we chosen people. We figured this out, yes.
1: And everyone else is gonna when the rapture comes, we're gonna mm-hmm. ascend to heaven and they're all gonna die down here and it's this uh, kind of specialness factor, but yeah, I, I, it, I kind of oscillated between having a lot of empathy and kind of sympathy for a lot of those people, where yeah. I felt kind of bad for them. Yeah. Uh, the only time I, that did not happen was when uh, they went to NASA, mm-hmm. and they were just sh- it just it really that actually pissed me off. Yeah. Because I'm not. Cuz mis- it mean, It's just disrespectful. Like. Well, I'm not Mister Rah Rah patriotic. Like, you know, I'm gonna put a flag on my fucking forehead or anything like that. But to me, the one of the main things that makes me proud to be american is going to the moon and all that st- you know that was just such a big an thing. achievement and to and it's almost like you said like pulling a brick if we undermine that mm-hmm. then what does it even mean to be an american what does it mean to have these achievements or think of it's it's kind of the thing that makes me gives me that warm kind of feeling in my in my in my chest
2: about the greatness of what this country can be and the greatness they- of what like humans have accomplished in yeah. general like I just saw that Apollo 11 documentary have you seen that no i've heard about it it's one of the most amazing documentaries i've ever seen I'm and, and it's it. and it's just that you're viewing literally the pinnacle of human achievement happening yeah. like right in front of you like there's arguably not been something greater in scale that has happened since us landing on the moon yeah. and but but yeah. think about that
1: think if you a don't believe you landed on the moon Mm-hmm. And or B think the Earth is flat and that space like there's a I was listening to a Rogan podcast where that dude Eddie Bravo was like there's a whole space is fake yes uh, conspiracy and to me it it it's like one of the most depressing things that that if you believe that how do you feel about you know from a nationalistic standpoint if you have if you have anything that that you care about our collective achievements as a country, or like you said, from a human standpoint mm-hmm. of where are we at as uh, as humanity and what we have done. And it's like, and to me, those those two ideas can't really coexist because you, I can't sit here with an iPhone mm-hmm. that is literally transmitting, you know, videos at high speed from space. And I'm like, it just, it doesn't that, yeah. so how does this exist, but we didn't go to the moon or how is SpaceX, yeah. What What are they doing? What are, yeah. uh, the rocket goes up, it comes down. Where does it fucking go? They, you know, they showed it
2: crash a bunch of times. Well, so it's not like, what do they fake the crashes fifty uh, times that it works? Or well, apparently Alex Jones is paying for Eddie Bravo to go right. To what you, you on SpaceX? That? No, on the. He said he was going to get that like an expedition to send Eddie Bravo to the edge of the earth. Did you yeah. not hear any of this? That's not hard to do. I mean. <laughs> This is no. He said he won't go.
1: <laughs> yeah, he's gonna send somebody. No, yeah. you know why he won't go? Because it Cause would he's... disprove all his bullshit, <laughs> and he can't. So, you know, like, well, I can't go because you know I'm really else, busy yeah. this week. <laughs> anyway, all right. So here's the thing: what we're not gonna do is we're not gonna we're not gonna solve all the flat earthers and other conspiracies. But I I do I do think this stuff is fascinating, and I, I yes. love I love science, and I love like I said, being awed by uh, yeah. by all these achievements and all this stuff, and I think it's a it's a really cool thing, and uh and I think it's amazing that um. You know someone like yourself who is uh just able to keep growing and learning i think that's that's an amazing thing about um about getting older
2: yeah right it's, It is it the sounds more, so well, cliche but it's true yeah. it is
1: well some people say man well you know wouldn't it be great to be younger i'm like no nah, i'm good yeah maybe good. my body yeah exactly That'd be tight. <laughs> that's a, that's that's the one thing but it is but there's a trade-off right like yeah. you get to have These advantages as a young person, then you get a little older, and you have these other advantages, and able to kind of, uh, you know, enjoy that in a in a in a a different kind of way. Yeah. So anyway, Chris, I love you, brother. Thank you you so much for being on the show, and I think people are gonna enjoy this, man. I hope so. Yes, sir. Let's Let's
2: go. Let's go play a show. Let's go rock. Hell yeah.
1: was entitled on my teeth and it's by under oath from their brand new album which came out in 2018 well, i guess is that, that make it brand new it's new enough guys calm down entitled erase me a of that breath i just did a, a lot of songs playing i was doing some uh like lunges or no i don't know We you kind of like self squats you know to hurt my back and trying to reform my physique you know trying to get the shit back and Back in order, you know, guys. The donut situation has gotten out of control, and uh, you know, I would say I regret it. But one good thing about getting older, I found, is that you, at least for men, I think it's, I think women have different pressure, but for men, I can only speak for the for the males out there, is that uh, you know you're you have less vanity, you know. So I can be a little schlubby, and I'll be like, ah, oh, you know, it's okay. I'll get I'll get it back. You know, right now I'm in, I'm in schlubby mode, you know, and then, you know, once the back heals up a little bit and I can start working out a little bit more, so I need a little more salads, a little less donuts, you know, I'll get it right just for you guys. It's not for me. I don't, I could, you know, I could take it or leave it, you know, I don't need to be vain, you know, I don't need to be gawked at for my tight pecs and chiseled abs, you know, anyway, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Chris Dudley. I, I... I love the places that went. I re-listened to it and I was like, oh, this was pretty badass, at least for me. And that's, you know, saying a lot considering that I'm involved and I'm, I'm not uh, exactly objective in terms of, of listening to it. But uh, yeah, I, I actually got a lot out of it listening listening back to that. And I, I thank him so much for doing the show. He's he's just a, a wonderful, wonderful human being. And I'll definitely check out that record. I actually bought, I just bought that damn record and it's fucking good. And uh yeah, I leave for tour in a couple of days. Bad Wolves is doing about 2 weeks in the in the United States. We're doing some festivals. We're doing Sonic Temple in Columbus, Ohio, Rocklahoma, BFD, which I guess stands for Big Book and Deal in Dallas, Texas, and then the MM Barbecue in Camden. And then we're also Camden, New Jersey, that is near Philly. And then we're doing a bunch of shows playing the Norva, no- Norfolk. We're playing St. Louis, we're playing Richmond, Virginia. Where else? Oh, Iowa City. Si- Actually, no, Sioux Falls, Iowa. If you didn't get tickets, you missed out. Just sold out, baby. Bad bulls blowing up. Better get them tickets. We're doing one more show. I can't. I could look it up, but you know, that's what they invented Google for. Y'all look up that last show. But yeah, we're doing these shows. And then uh, a couple weeks off, then we'll go to Europe. And by the way, the European off-date shows are selling really fast. So if you don't, we just added Russia. And, and a new ch- show in uh, the Czech Republic. I don't know how many people uh, from those countries listen to the show. But if you want tickets, so though, get get on them quick because they're selling fast. They upgraded the venue in Manchester. And, uh, yeah, we're doing a ton of festivals over there. So it's, it's about to get real busy and my back better start feeling better. I hope it does. Cross your fingers for me. Pray for me. Oh, and also pray for the New York Knicks. Tomorrow night, by the time you guys hear this, Actually, you will, you will hear this before, if you listen to it tomorrow, before the, the draft lottery is tomorrow. And uh, the Knicks have a 14% chance to get the number one pick. So it's not looking good. It's 86% chance we're not going to get the number one pick. And about a 50% chance we're going to get the fifth pick. Now, I know most of you probably don't care about basketball, and this is boring to you. But still, if you're you know, if you're a person of faith, please, you know, say a few words for the New York Knicks tonight or tomorrow when you listen to this, you know, because... Uh, we're gonna need all the all the help we can get, but after that episode of Game of Thrones, you know, I'm just, you know, I'm just a, I'm just a sour, sad motherfucker. Just in life, just everything ends. Everything will burn. There is no hope. Hope is not here. We just live in the ashes, as our fathers and our fathers' fathers did before us. We were once great men, but now we have failed. That's how I feel. It's depressing. All right, y'all. I'm going to stop talking. Not going to have any more donuts. I actually have to practice the, the, the set. So, you know, donut time is over. I got I to gotta start looking good on stage. I'm going to have to suck in that gut. You know, you want to be the suck in the gut guy. But uh, love you guys. Go on iTunes, rate, interview the show. Uh, say, say Oh, Mother's Day. Say hello to your mother for me. And, uh, you know, Mamba out.